You're listening to Between the Leaves at the Lloyd, a monthly podcast that unearths stories inspired by the collections of the Lloyd Library and Museum, located in downtown Cincinnati. It seems like most every Cincinnati story that includes plants and botany eventually connects to the Lloyd Library. Take for example this one, which starts with a walk in a little-known Montgomery Nature Preserve. Bear with me. That's where Dr. Teresa Cully, botanist and head of the biology department at the University of Cincinnati, quite literally stumbled on an invasive species that changed the trajectory of her research life. The 65-acre Harris M. Benedict Preserve is owned by the university, and it served as an outdoor laboratory of rare species for students since the 1920s. It's named after the UC botany professor who taught both E. Lucy and Annette Brown at the beginning of the 20th century. The legacy of those trailblazing sister scientists lives on at, you guessed it, the Lloyd Library in particular in the many letters from them contained in the Elizabeth Brockschlager collection. Generations of scientists like the Browns and Brockschlager met and studied species in the protected forest, then known as Hazelwood, at the northern edge of the city of Montgomery. It was a regular hangout for one of the public university's oldest clubs, the Blue Hydra Society, made up of mostly women scientists in training. If she were a hundred years or so older, Cully would definitely have been a member. But the species that caught Cully's attention, and, well, her foot, was not one that the Browns or Brockschlager ever studied. In fact, it first stumped Cully herself. We were just walking along, and we were playing, you know, just trying to identify the plants, and we literally stumbled over this plant that was about a knee high. It was like a sapling. And we both, I, I didn't know what it was and she didn't quite know what it was. And she said, oh, it looks like something, uh, a tree from my neighbor's yard. And we started looking at it. We, we thought we, we had it figured out as this pyrus species. And then later on um, that week, I happened to be at a conference. And I think it was in New Jersey. And someone just happened to mention that they had just seen an internet article about this species taking over in Maryland. And uh, I started asking questions and it turned out that, yeah, that was the case. And so it piqued my interest because as a scientist, I'm really curious and I like really weird things. <laughs> that sapling turned out to be none other than the calorie pear, also known as the Bradford pear, a pretty and pernicious invasive species. You've likely seen its five-petaled white flowers in abundant bloom on trees lining Cincinnati streets every spring. They create a blossoming tunnel that's a gorgeous sight to see, and it comes with a distinctively pungent smell. Their ability to overwhelm native species in sheer numbers and by shading the life out of native wildflowers have made them a perennial problem for gardeners and nature lovers alike. People often say, oh, they're so beautiful because we don't have to plant them, which is true. But if you look at these huge clusters of them, these monocultures, usually around the freeways or along areas where there, there's been a, you know, a new building that went up, these clusters have really deep roots. They're really difficult to remove. And a lot of them actually have what people call thorns. They're really known as spurs, modified stems. But you can't even walk through these areas. Through my work, 
I started reaching out to the nursery industry because it suddenly, you know, I started to realize the more I worked on the calorie pair, I started to realize how big of a problem it was. Calorie pears, like many other plants that have become destructive invaders, came to America with good intentions. The first recorded import of the calorie pear was in 1917. It was brought to cultivate and increase the disease resistance of common fruit-bearing pear trees. By the 1950s, though, the calorie pear had become the street tree of choice for American cities, according to NPR. Its disease resistance and ability to grow in a wide range of climates fueled its spread. You can now find it as far east as New Jersey and as far south as Texas, according to the Center for Invasive Species and Ecosystem Health. But where is the calorie pear's native home? China and Vietnam. Botanically speaking, it makes perfect sense, Kelly says. And if you look on a globe at the position of the United States and China, they're just on opposite sides of the same hemisphere. And so what that means is the plants have been adapted, you know, through time. They've, they're used to growing in certain climates in China. And it so happens that those same climates in China are the same as what are here in the eastern North America. So if you take a plant from China where it's been growing, you bring it to North America, to our area, it's going to pretty much feel like it's at home and it's going to just keep growing. The destruction that invasive species bring comes with important lessons, according to Cully, whose primary research focus before her close encounter with a calorie pair was exotic and endangered species. And I purposely, I think, avoided invasives because lots of people started focusing on them and it became really a hot thing. And I like the more obscure, different plants. But after a while, I started to realize that if you really wanted to study evolution and how organisms adapt and change, you know, in response to their environment, invasives are the way to go because oftentimes they're changing, not really right in front of you, but, you know, a few years or decades, which is fast, you know, in the time span of an organism of a, of a species. More interesting still is the fact that not all species that are imported into new areas, no matter the intent of the human interference that spurs that import, become invasive. Whether they survive, thrive, and spread depends on specific traits that they may or may not have. And bird poop, Cully explains. Oh, there's many different things that makes a species invasive. First of all, some species are introduced into a, near, a new area and may never become invasive. They may never spread, but some do. And that's what I find really fascinating. And, and, you, and exactly that's the question is why do they become invasive? In many cases, it might be something associated with a trait. So for example, many invasive species are dispersed by birds. So they may produce fruits or seeds that are fleshy that the birds like to eat. And then they fly off and you know, eventually defecate it out into a new area, poop it out, if you will, and that plants it into a new location. And so bird dispersal is really frequently associated with invasive species as well as wind dispersal. So some seeds, so like the princess tree, which is a huge problem in Southern states in the Smokies, um, it produces millions of seeds per year. It's a gorgeous tree, beautiful flowers really fast growing, which is another part of its problem. But that one has wind dispersal of the seeds. 
Another thing that we found out with the calorie pair, why it becomes invasive is it does have bird dispersal. So that's part of it. But what was happening was different cultivars that people were planting in their yards were cross-pollinating with each other and producing fruits that otherwise would never have happened. And then the birds were eating those fruits and flying off with them and creating these wild populations. So because of that work, I've become really interested recently in the role of ornamental youth or horticulture in species invasions. And that's also because as a gardener, I like to plant things. So it's been really fascinating to think about, you know, what am I doing in my own yard that might impact years down the road, you know, the natural areas around me. Tasty seeds, strong winds, earnest gardeners. The fragile fate of whole ecosystems is evident in the growth of invasive species all over the world. Cully, who started her research career while an undergraduate in California, got her first glimpse of their impact near the beaches of the Pacific Ocean. Back in Southern California, of course, there's a lot of invasive species. And one is the ice plant. And this is a the ice plant is even sold around here in Ohio, but it's a common bedding plant. It's a succulent and people would plant it in their front yards in, in California. And I learned early on that it was actually creeping out and overtaking in the dunes locally, you know, by the beaches. And it was interesting in that it forms these salt crystals as part of its normal way that it survives to protect itself, essentially. And when you have these invasions of this plant, the salt then would go into the soil and it would actually have all these negative impacts on the soil by adding the salt and then other organisms couldn't live there. So the main lesson that I've learned so far from the invasives is that change can happen in very unexpected ways. Uh, many invasives have been introduced for the best of purposes. You know, we had no clue that this would happen, but that's the main thing. But it's also shown to me that invasive plants and really, I mean, invasive animals as well, it just so shows that nature is really good at coming up with solutions to things and to pers to persist when it can. I mean, you have to sort of admire the inv invasive species too, in a way. I'm I'm horrified by them, but I admire them too. I think a lot of invasives, we humans, play a role in their many times their introduction or their spread. And so we therefore have a responsibility to step in and try to correct it or to minimize the problem, say when it gets to a natural area. Kelly takes that responsibility seriously. In addition to her professorship at UC and her research, she serves as head of the Ohio Invasive Plants Council Invasive Plant Assessment Team which is currently updating the list of invasive plants for the state after advocating for 2017 legislation that prohibits the sale, import, or distribution of 38 known invasive species, including the calorie pear. Thanks for listening 
to Between the Leaves at the Lloyd, a monthly podcast of the Lloyd Library and Museum in Cincinnati, Ohio. Interview and story by Elissa Yancey. Audio editing and mixing by Samantha Gatsik. Between the Leaves is launched with support from a Photo Focus Emergency Art Grant. Want to learn more about the Lloyd and its collections? You can visit online anytime at lloydlibrary.org.